Chapter 12 Boom! The large pine crashed to the earth. Its branches cracked and snapped on impact, then the beast recoiled and sprung a foot off the ground before coming to a rest. There, the fallen mammoth lay silent. Once a beacon of strength in the Dalryadan forest, the massive tree now lay severed and dead on the damp forest floor. Ah! Darrell let out an exuberant shout. Kenneth's brow lifted in disbelief, amazed at the large Scot's ability to drop a tree. Darrell smiled at Kenneth, someday, when you grow up big and strong, you'll be able to drop them like this. He laughed and wiped the moisture, a mixture of sweat and mist, from his eyes. Kenneth snickered, shaking his head with envy. Then he picked up his axe and began stripping the branches from the trunk of the fallen pine. The wet axe handle slid in his hands as he cut, in spite of his now calloused palms. Kenneth stripped the first limb. The aroma of fresh pine filled his nostrils. He inhaled the evergreen scent. It carried the smell of strength, robust and pungent. He exhaled and levied his axe on a second limb. The thumping of his blade against the raw meat of the tree formed a syncopated rhythm with the axes of his fellow Scots cutting beside him. Durrell's blows were the most prominent. His axe cut the deepest. Grissin, when you finish tying the first log, I want the other log tied to the horse as well, the fiery viking with golden hair shouted to an older Scot harnessing the fallen logs. The stallion will pull them both, the viking finished. Grissin was a favored term of the vikings for old and feeble men, and it was especially derogatory if the man wasn't all that old or feeble. The older Scot, Nicol, acknowledged the viking and finished tying the first tree to the tugs of the animal. Hurry with the stripping. I want that log tied up. And I want it done while it's still daylight. The golden-haired viking barked while waving a two-foot rod above his head. The viking's sarcasm annoyed Kenneth, for the day was not far past noon. Kenneth paused for a moment and glanced at the viking guard's standing watch. He had developed the habit of surveying his surroundings. If a chance for escape came, it would only last a moment and then vanish. Fighting would be another avenue of escape, but the guard's crossbows served as an adequate deterrent against such notions of insurrection. Kenneth returned to the rhythmic swinging of his axe, dismembering one limb after another from the torso of the large pine. He didn't inform Durrell that he was keeping count of the limbs that each removed, but he kept an eye on the larger Scot and worked with Ernest to outpace him. The collective thumping of the axes dismantled the tree in moments. The once great tree, with its towering height and boastful girth of green branches, was reduced to nothing more than a lifeless log, soon to be placed beside countless other logs forming the walls of the Viking fort. It would no longer stand proud among the Dalryadan forest, displaying its strength, rather it would stand stripped and bare amid an ignoble wall, displaying the strength of another. 14. Kenneth said triumphantly. He stood upright and gazed down the length of the fallen pine. Dozens of nubs, raw and coarse, protruded from its trunk. Durrell finished his last limb and straightened his frame. He lowered his axe head between his feet. Fourteen what? He asked. Fourteen limbs, Kenneth replied. Sorry you couldn't match me. Match you? On the limbs. Right. I cut fourteen and you cut twelve. Someday, when you get a little stronger and quicker, you may stand a chance of keeping up, Kenneth boasted, wearing a grin. Get the log up here. Tie it to the horse beside the other log, the viking with the golden hair shouted at the Scots. 
The men leaned their axes against the base of a standing pine and then grabbed the lifting ropes from the wooden cart. In groups of two, the men slid the ropes under the large limbless trunk, spacing themselves along the length of the tree. A dozen ropes were needed to lift the tree and place it behind the stallion to be hauled away. Kenneth reached under the trunk and pulled half of the rope through to his side. He glanced at Gavin, his partner, and made sure he was holding his end. Gavin wrapped the rope around his forearm and held the end tight with his free hand, then he nodded at Kenneth. The two waited for the call. Set to lift. Durrell shouted to the men from the end of the log. He and a heavy-set Scott were standing at the rear to lift the base. Set, the men echoed. Lift. The ropes tightened, and the fallen giant slowly rose from the ground. The small army of men grunted and groaned as they wrestled the massive beast forward. The mist in the air made the ropes damp, and the dampness helped their grip. Yet too, it made it difficult to shuffle under the tree's great weight without encountering a slip on the slick, sludgy floor of the rain-soaked forest. Step by step, the men inched forward, moving closer to the stallion and the previously secured log. The older Scots stood to the side, waiting to tie the two logs together for hauling. Moving the log grew more painful as the ground gradually sloped upward near the drop point. Kenneth huffed and heaved and felt as if his thighs were on fire. They burned with each step. Upon ascending the incline and nearing the awaiting log, Gavin yelled to the back, I think we're there. He glanced at Kenneth and muttered, We better be. Drop on my call, Durrell yelled to the men. Set. Drop. The heavy trunk hit the ground and rolled a foot to the right. Kenneth jumped to avoid the monstrous man-killer. The Scot behind him snickered. Careful, it'll bite you. Gavin released his rope and Kenneth pulled it through. Then the tree haulers rested. Nicole, who'd been waiting for the log, motioned to two older men and signaled them to begin the tie-off. He turned to the golden-haired Viking and asked, You're sure you want them together? That's what I said. Isn't it, Grissin? The Viking chided. Nicol returned to his ropes. He and the two men began to weave the heavy cord around the thick trunk, intertwining the ropes and binding the two trunks together. As the three men hunched over the logs, forming their knots, one murmured to Nicol, This one's enormous. With the slope of that hill, I don't think the horse can make it up with both of them. The man scanned the large logs again and frowned at Nicol. It's not going to work. What's your problem? The golden hair Viking shouted. No problem. Just, the man elected not to finish this thought and instead returned to his knot. Just what? Do you have a problem? The Viking asked, taunting the man with his rod. The three stopped and stared up at the golden-haired Viking. Get up here, Grissin. Nicole released his rope. He glimpsed at the two older men and then at Kenneth and the others resting nearby. His expression showed concern, concern of what was to come. The Scots knew firsthand of the golden-haired Viking's fiery temper. It was though the man had been denied the gift of self-control and instead had received a double portion of the unsavory trait of poor temperament. Nicole stepped away from the log and walked toward the stallion where the Viking was standing. As Nicole approached, the Viking began his tirade, Grissin, why must you always cause me problems? How hard it is to tie a knot. I want to know why you seem to have a problem. We were simply noting that the second log is rather large. And so, it's large. Is that a problem? 
are Scots unable to tie knots around large trees? The Viking asked, pounding his rod into his open palm as he spoke. The men think the load may be too heavy for the horse to clear the hill. Your men think this, do they? Do I give a damn what your men think? Grisson, do you believe as they do? Do you believe I'm wrong, having both logs pulled together? Do you, Grisson? Nicole hesitated, choosing his words carefully. I am not sure if the... You're not sure of what, Grisson? The man's golden hair flung across his shoulders as he lurched forward, thrusting his face inches from Nicole's. Not sure of what? Without a pause, the Viking slammed his rod against Nicole's thigh. Nicole stumbled backwards into the hindquarters of the stallion. The horse spooked, and Nicole fell beside the animal. The stallion reared up, hopping on its back legs, and then leapt forward, tugging the logs behind him. The heavy load incensed the beast and the horse lunged again, fighting its harness. Desperate to break free, the stallion moved at an angle, dragging the timber sideways across the incline. The logs jerked behind the animal and twisted to the side. The two Scots tying the ropes leapt from the shifting load. The rear of the larger log began to slide down the hill, traversing the wet ground. Again the stallion lurched forward, and the ropes of the big log snapped. The long, nubby trunk twisted away from its bindings and started to roll. It moved with pace, picking up momentum and bucking over rocks and bumps while descending the soggy slope. The Scots gazed in amazement from the hilltop. The event was terrifying and fantastic at one and the same time. A band of Vikings, stationed midway down the hill, caught sight of the tumbling log. They shuddered with terror in their eyes as the unwieldy giant rumbled toward them, boasting all the fury of an unleashed monster. Three ran to the left to avoid the angry behemoth. Two others leapt to the right, and the spinning timber missed the leg of the slower man by a measure of inches. A single Viking, caught in the middle, found no route of escape. He dropped behind a rock roughly two feet high and ducked into a crouch, cupping his head in his hands? The lumbering giant continued its violent descent, bucking and twisting down the hill. When the base of the log hit the dwarfed rock, it lifted in the air. The men above watched in awe as the mighty timber danced aloft in a soundless rage. At one particular moment, the massive pine hulk seemed to pause in time as it crested its ascent, then it dropped like a mallet on the powerless viking crouched below. The log continued onward without sympathy. For more than fifty feet it twisted and tumbled unabated, snapping and cracking small trees and saplings standing in its path. At the bottom of the hill, it crashed into two pines large enough to catch and keep their fallen brother. There, the big tree rested. The forest fell silent. The men above stood in shock at the terror of it all, while the viking struck by the log lay motionless and bloody beside the small rock. Only the frustrated stallion dared to make a noise. The animal's bucking had ceased, but the beast continued to bristle and wheeze under the harness of the remaining log. Midway down the hill, the Vikings rushed toward their fallen comrade. As they approached the body, they eased forward with hesitation. Then they glimpsed the gore of the crushed man and turned in revulsion. One Viking yelled up the hill to the leader with the golden hair, Arof is dead. The golden-haired Viking erupted, you fool. You bloody fool. His anger overtook him. He stormed Nicole and began striking him again and again with his rod. Nicole covered his head and hunched to protect himself, but the rod struck hard and its tassels whipped across his flesh, tearing the skin on his arms. Nicole retreated and then tripped and fell as he backed away, 
He curled into a ball, and the beating continued. You old fool! Do you not know how to tie a bloody rope? Your ignorance, your insolence did this. The Viking screamed, feeding his rage with a torrent of blows. The rod's whipping tassels shredded Nicole's clothing and tore open his flesh. Several blows struck his neck and shoulders. His cheeks began to bleed as the tassels lashed across his face, lacerating his skin. Kenneth and the others watched, stunned, as the Viking released his vile-induced wrath on the old Scot. The beating was both cruel and excessive. Kenneth glanced at Durrell and then at Gavin. He knew Nicole wouldn't survive if the beating continued. You will pay for this, the Viking shouted perversely, his words booming with each blow. You, stupid, stupid. A sudden blow to the backside of the golden-haired Viking sent him forward, and he tumbled over Nicol. He fell to his knees and caught himself before his face hit the ground, then he lifted his arm and reached for his blood-covered rod. As the Viking rose to his knees, Kenneth leapt on his back and jammed his face into the dirt. Kenneth grabbed his long golden locks and jerked his head upward. Then Kenneth twisted to his side and punched the Viking's face with one hand while gripping his hair in the other. Three punches landed before the Viking broke free. Kenneth rolled sideways, and both men sprung to their feet. In a blink, the Viking swung his rod and struck Kenneth's arm. The tassels found Kenneth's back and delivered a biting sting. Again, the man swung. Kenneth blocked the rod and jumped into the Viking, crashing his head into the man's face. The Viking's nose broke with a loud crack. Kenneth threw a punch and thumped the Viking's eye. He punched again, but a Viking guard caught his arm. A second Viking spun him, and a third came from behind. The third man wrapped his arms under Kenneth's and placed Kenneth in a headlock, allowing the second Viking to release a round of pummeling fists to Kenneth's abdomen. Kenneth fought for air between punches, but his lungs wouldn't fill. A sharp pain splintered along the left side of his midsection, likely the cracking of a rib. Durrell rushed forward, but Gavin grabbed the large Scot around the waist and fought with all his might to wrestle the big man back. Enough? The golden-haired Viking shouted as a stream of red poured from his nostrils. His nose was bleeding and his eye was nearly swollen shut, and a thirst for revenge sat etched upon his face. He glared over his shoulder at a guard standing behind him. The guard held a crossbow. Drape ham, the golden-haired Viking uttered in his native tongue. The man binding Kenneth released his headlock hold and shoved Kenneth forward. Kenneth bent and coughed to catch his breath. The Viking crossbowman elevated his weapon as Kenneth straightened and stood erect. Kill him! The golden-haired Viking shouted. Kenneth gaped at the crossbowman and the arrow aimed at his chest. A sneer formed on the man's face as he stared back at Kenneth. Kenneth held his ground, no remorse, no regrets, save one. The Viking placed his finger on the trigger of the bow. No. A chilling, guttural war cry erupted from Durrell's throat, and he swung his heavy axe over his head and hurled it into the air. Thump! The sound of the axe sinking into the Viking's back sent a shiver down Kenneth's spine. The man's eyes widened and then slowly rolled back in his head. He fell forward, limp, and hit the ground with a thud. The large axe handle protruded from his back like a slim wooden dorsal fin. In an instant, a dozen Viking crossbowmen fixed their sights on Durrell. Each man stood ready, eager for the golden-haired Viking's next command. Letter. 
A loud shout bellowed from the hilltop. Every head turned. Stop. Fox, as Kenneth called him, yelled a second time, this time speaking Dalryadan. The Viking crossbows lowered. I have no intention of losing more men or more slaves on this day. The angry bald Viking steered his horse off the path and moved down the hill. The golden-haired Viking removed his hand from his nose and cursed the blood dripping from his fingers as he marched toward Fox. These Scots are responsible for the deaths of two of my men. They must pay for their deeds. He motioned at Nicol and Durell then turned back to Fox, insisting consent. Auric, Fox called the golden-haired Viking by name, these are not your soldiers, though you will surely answer to Halfton for their deaths. As for the Scots responsible, they will receive their due payment. And what of him? I want him for myself, Auric seethed, pointing at Kenneth. He'll pay with the others. Now cut the rope from the horse and get the men back to camp. As for these three, I want their hands bound, Fox gave his orders, singling out Kenneth, Darrell, and Nicol. Bring them to me once you've returned to camp. When Fox had finished, he peered at Alric, I want to see you once we've returned. He spun his horse without saying anything more, and he rode back up the hill. A large ring of men stood in the center of the Viking courtyard and encircled Kenneth, Darrell, and Nicol. Two dozen Vikings formed the circle, each brandishing a sword or axe, and all hungry for blood. When Halfton entered the circle, he stopped and glared at the three Scots. Codron and Joran stood behind him, shadowing him, teetering back and forth on their heels like bodyguards itching for a fight. The remaining Vikings, anxious for retribution, mobbed the courtyard outside the ring. Kenneth, Durell, and Nicol stood with their condemnation before them. They stood facing Halfton. Their hands and feet were bound in chains, and their hearts were bound in doom. As the low western sun cast down upon their tattered faces, their well-beaten frames formed long, crooked shadows on the muddy ground behind them. Next to the three Scots, sat a large oval-shaped stump. Halfton spoke in a loud, booming voice, You three! I've been told of your crimes against my men. This is a very unfortunate day for those two men, those two dead men, and a most unfortunate day for you. You and your foolishness are a stench in my presence. Such foolishness will not be tolerated. Your actions have led to very grave events, and such actions demand a costly payment in return. Halfton glanced at Alric, who stood among the men forming the ring. The golden-haired Viking nodded in affirmation, all the while wondering if he too would feel the wrath of Halfton's heavy hand. As slaves, you must be taught the lesson for committing such crimes, your fellow slaves would do well to learn from your poor decisions rather than suffer the misery of repeating them. Halfton's dark eyes moved back and forth among the three prisoners as he spoke. I am a just man, you should know this, and if not, then you will learn this. You shall receive precisely what you deserve for your actions. Halfton's gaze locked on Nicol. Grissin, your questioning of my men's decisions cost a man his life today. Yet, too, I understand the incident was brought about by one of my own. I will deal with that in due time. Auric glared at Fox in resentment, and concern. He had seen, and even experienced, Halfton's wrath in times past. Halfton continued, Grissin, twenty lashes with the whip will be your punishment. If you survive, you'll carry out your days in the quarry. Halfton then peered at Kenneth. Kenneth, that is what they call you. 
Kenneth gave no reply. You have been a misery to me from the beginning. Your chains have not been enough to teach you who is master and who is slave. We shall remedy that today. You, as well, will receive twenty lashes for your defiance. And know this, should you strike one of my men again, it'll be the last time you do. This is not a threat, it's a guarantee. Halfton's scowl tightened as he turned to Darrell. You chose your fate today, slave. A decision you will not live long to regret. My promise to you is to make your actions a memorable example of what the others should never repeat. You have chosen to take a life with your axe, so too, your life shall be taken by an axe. The same axe you used to kill my soldier will be used to take your head. All eyes fell to Darrell. The large Scot had no response. His expression was empty. His gaze lowered to the ground, and his eyes closed. Kenneth took a single step forward and spoke, This man killed another man, but only as a means of defending me. I would have been unjustly slain if it were not for him. Punish him as you must, but do not kill him. Halfton glared in disbelief, You foolish Scot. Do you not see you are a slave? As a slave, you have no rights. You will not question me. You are nothing to me. You are as a roach. I have no need of you, or of this man, Halfton seethed as he pointed to Durrell. You are a leader of men, Kenneth responded, surely, you see the justice. Shut your mouth, slave. Do not presume to tell me of justice. You are a man stripped of everything, you should plead daily for my mercy, that I might bring you the very food you require to live. You will not speak to me of justice. You are nothing. Kenneth brazened and spoke again, if that is how you see justice, then take my life for his. He preserved my life from being wrongly taken. I will stand in his stead and pay the punishment due him. Kenneth, don't do this, Durrell uttered. I have no desire to live my days as a slave to these men. I willingly took the man's life. And I would do it again. But you won't. Halfton exclaimed. You will no longer have the pleasure of wielding an axe. Dead men don't wield axes. Shouts of approval and vengeance rang out from the men of the mob. Halfton turned slowly on his heels, gazing over his men. His mind twisted in contemplation. And a thought made him grin. Maybe I have found something better. Seeing your affections for one another, and knowing how the other prisoners regard you both, I believe I have a punishment that may be more meaningful, more just. Halfton turned to Kenneth. If you are so eager to come to the aid of this man, I will let you. You shall receive your lashes, forty in total, yours and his, Halfton said, motioning to Durrell. You shall work the quarry after your lashes. There you shall bring a double portion from the quarry. Yes, double, your share and the axeman's share. Should you fail to deliver your double portion of rock, it will be a sign to me that you no longer regard the life of the axeman. And as a just man, I shall see to his execution on that day. And for you, Halfton peered at Durrell, you shall never again carry, throw, or wield an axe, the craftsman shall lose his tool of craft. And you shall live your next thirty days in the pit. Halfton pointed to the hole at the northeast corner of the fort. The pit wasn't dug as a well, it was never intended for such use. Rather, it was dug as an earthen prison, a den of solitude, for any poor soul that Halfton sought to make miserable. Durrell would be the first to know the miseries of the Viking pit. Men of Norse, I hope today you see your lord as a wise and just man, 
that Odin himself has poured out his favor on both you and me. With strength, we conquer. This is how we honor the great Odin. And with the wisdom of Odin, we enlighten the conquered. Halfton held his hands aloft and turned in a circle before his men. An eruption of cheers echoed among the brutes. Halfton lowered his arms and quieted the celebration. He addressed Urel, before you are taken to the pit, we must first ensure that you never commit treason with the axe again. Halfton turned to his left and gestured with an open palm, Jorand, the axe. A viking stepped into the center of the ring holding Durell's axe. The man extended the weapon to Jorand. Jorand grabbed the handle and ran his finger down the edge of the iron blade. He signaled two guards, and they escorted Durell to the stump in the center of the circle. Wait! Kenneth shouted, fighting his chains, you said he would not be put to death. He shall not die, but he shall forever be reminded of his error, Halfton replied. He shall be capable of touching an axe, but never capable of using it, his great love shall be forever beyond his grip. And this shall serve as a reminder to him, and to all who should ever lay eyes upon him, that it is a fool's errand to challenge Halfton the Black. Halfton turned to Jorand, remove his thumbs. A lump formed in Durell's throat as he tried to swallow. His heart drummed against his chest, ready to burst. Two guards appeared on either side, clutched his arms, and muscled him to the stump. A sudden kick to the back of his legs dropped him to his knees. Durell knelt before the stump and stared into the sky as if searching for intervention. Nothing. He closed his eyes, and his chest collapsed, with an exasperated breath. The Viking guards took his hands and placed them on the stump. They positioned his palms flat on the face of the wood and overlapped his thumbs at the lower knuckle. When finished, each guard placed a boot on Durell's wrist to prevent him from moving. Durell opened his eyes and peered long at his hands. A thousand memories of swinging the axe, strong and swift, rushed through his mind. Then his eyes shut and his teeth clenched like a vice. Jorand lifted the axe high in the air. The weapon fell swiftly and stopped with a hideous thud. The heavy blade cut deep into the white wood, and a horrific yell exploded from the large Scot, piercing Kenneth's ears and etching its sound upon his soul. Kenneth turned his head and resisted the urge to vomit. Durell lifted his hands and stared at the bloody nubs that had once been his thumbs. He closed his eyes and collapsed beside the stump. His body convulsed, and he faded into a slow rocking motion. As the pain surged, the large Scot spasmed and shock overtook him. Soon after, he lost consciousness. Kenneth stood comatose, watching helplessly as Nicole received his lashings. Jorand delivered blow upon blow to the bloody back of the older Scot. After the last lash, Nicole was untied from the whipping post. He slumped to the ground and groaned in agony, drool dripping from his open mouth as his body fell numb with pain. Take him away, Jorand barked the command. Two men dragged Nicole from the post. Your turn, Jorand said, and he pointed to Kenneth. Kenneth resisted, muscling against the guards as they marched him to the whipping post. He was no match for the overpowering brutes. They pressed his wrists together and wrapped them with a rope, tighter than his chains, and they secured him to the post. Remove his shirt, Jorand ordered. When the two finished tying Kenneth, one stepped behind him, grabbed his shirt, and yanked it from his body. Kenneth stood as a spectacle before the Viking crowd, half-naked and leaning forward with his hands bound and his head pressed against the wooden post. Wait! 
Halfton ordered, and he stepped toward Kenneth. What is this? Halfton extended his hand to the gold cross dangling from Kenneth's neck. The cross settled in Halfton's palm, and he closed his hand. With a quick tug he snatched it away. You won't be needing this anymore, he said, grinning and admiring his new treasure. Carry on. He turned and stepped away. Kenneth heard Joran's heavy footsteps behind him. His body tensed. The sudden slap of the whip against his back shot a blistering sting over his frame. His muscles seized at the sound of the whip recoiling behind him. The second lash came like fire to his skin. He agonized, awaiting the third. Crack. The whip struck Kenneth's backside once again and his body shuddered. He gritted his teeth and tried to block the pain. Each successive strike came like a scalpel peeling away flesh, one layer at a time. The last words Kenneth heard were those of the guard shouting the count, 23. After that, everything went dark.